0: Hello from your At The flicks team of Jeff Graham and Neil. Today, it's a welcome return for Andy Dufresne as we once again talk movie genres. Hi, Andy.
1: How are you doing? Hello there, sir. I am great. I can't wait to talk about Westerns.
0: It's a very American subject, but as you'll see as we go through, it's something that resonates, particularly with uh, the Celtic people over in the UK. So last time we spoke, we discussed horror movies. Now today, we're going to talk about Westerns what are your thoughts
1: on the western genre it comes across to me as very american maybe that's because i am from the us but other than maybe like the sergio leone movies which definitely feel not american but i like john wayne and that type of thing the, those definitely feel very american to me and not as well versed in the genre as i would say i am in other genres but the ones that i have watched i have re- very much enjoyed and, and would like to see more in the future it is interesting this because
0: People who were in the West were actually in a lot of the early silent films, a lot of the Western films. It had this bleed into that sort of first part of cinema, sort of died out, came back in with Stagecoach at the late 30s. And then it's almost reflective of cultures from there. Like in the 50s, you had the psychological Western, the 60s, as you say, Andy, you had the Italian Westerns, which revitalized it. You had the Westerns that looked at Vietnam through a sideways glance, films like Soldier Blue and Shadow's Land. And then it sort of died out with the growth of science fiction like Star Wars, and Westerns have now become a sort of event film. It is very strange how it goes and, and how,
1: as you say, it's not as popular today by far than what it used to be. I always felt like when I was watching a Western, especially the older ones that I've seen, they always came across as very authentic to me. And I think that was one of the reasons why I liked it is because, you know, you really have to rely on the acting and the writing, I think, more than a lot of other genres um, because you don't have other hollywood devices to fall back on you know you have the scenery which is going to be you know one of the main stars in any western but then you really have to just rely on the characters in the writing i think that's one thing that maybe is more unique to westerns than other genres is it's all just kind of out there and there's not a lot of film tricks that you can do with stuff like that and
0: you've got a, a genre here that is very american i mean it's a part of your history but it does resonate all over the world and i i was saying you know suddenly for the Celtic nations in the UK, and I'm speaking here, certainly from where I'm from in Wales and Graham's from in Ireland, the Western had a huge significance for us growing up. There was a lot of it on TV. Some of the Western heroes or outlaws the famous for the Welsh connections. People like Jesse James, Daniel Boone and James Bowie all have Sort of Welsh connections. I don't know about the Irish ones, Graham. They'll probably be all outlaws. But um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) the Irish love being stereotyped by (laughs) the Welsh. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And it it just goes into that culture. So I'm going to go on a complete tangent here and ask you, Andy, have you seen a film called Twin Town? Twin Town? (laughs) No, I have not. Right. So (laughs) Twin Town is a Welsh version of train spotting. The reason I'm bringing that, that film up now is the lead villain. He sort of makes his money sort of with crooked cops and drugs dealings and all this sort of thing. But he calls his house the Ponderosa. There are so many people in Wales that have named their property the Ponderosa. And I know from speaking to Graham that it's the same there. Oh, yeah. 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 The yeah, So Bonanza has just gone into the culture. Why do you think that is? Certainly in Wales, that's uh, what I can speak for, is is you look to the American Western with these wonderful rolling planes and the, the mythic qualities of it, and it's looked on as an aspiration.
1: That's personally what I think on it. I know it, when you had mentioned that previously, I guess I didn't realize that it, you know, that type of film was so very popular over there by you guys back in that time
2: oh it's it's out of control i grew up in northern ireland just outside belfast and again the same thing lots of people named their houses the ponderosa (laughs) and northern ireland had a dedicated country and western radio station and line dancing and things like that were huge hits in northern ireland and i think it's uh, for the the people who stayed in ireland never got the chance to go to the West and make something of their lives, so they live it vicariously through the through the films and the Westerns. really is the most bizarre thing ever when you have people turning up in the freezing rain in Ireland in cowboy hats and cowboy boots to go line dancing and hmm. then probably watch a Western afterwards. It's just bizarre.
1: If you think about it, I guess, again, comparing Westerns to other genres of film maybe, I think – uh, one of the things that makes Westerns also stand out, I think, is that the the heroes and the villains seem to be way more defined. You know, like if you're watching a heavy drama or a comedy, I don't know that you see the heroes and villains as as very well established as much as you do in a really good Westerns. The good guys are really good and the bad guys are really bad, just generally speaking. And I think maybe that's something that appealed to a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is how it was all shaken up in the 60s. So when Sergio Leone made his films, Clint Eastwood comes on in A Fistful of Dollars, and he's a bounty hunter. He's playing both sides against one another. He doesn't care who's killing each other as long as he makes his money, which would have been unheard of just 10 years ago
1: in an American film. Yeah, and that's more of like an anti-hero type thing, right? Yeah. And mm. and then to take somebody like Henry Fonda,
0: who's got this reputation of being a big hero. I mean he was in, you know, My Darling Clementine, Young Mr. Lincoln, and make him the villain yeah, in the grapes what? of wrath, yeah. And then once upon a time in the West.
1: Yeah, that's true, you're right. I mean he's definitely playing against type, I think, but that's what makes it work so well. Once Upon a Time in the West is one of my favorites for many reasons, but um, just the cinematography alone. He could literally just have one shot of like two guys standing, looking at each other, and then they they show it from like 10 different camera angles. And the whole scene can last 20 minutes and you just don't care because it's just so well done. (laughs) Yes.
0: And you've got Morricone's wonderful score.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, everything is hitting on all cylinders, for sure.
2: The other thing I think that um, A Fistful of Dollars did is, it, in the UK anyway, I think it just hit the zeitgeist at the right time. It was a very dynamic time, 1964, you know, the Fistful of Dollars comes out, 65 a few dollars more, coming out with the Beatles and the Stones and a sort of hippie generation and those sorts of things. The world, well, certainly in Britain, was changing, and here you had these radically different westerns which were not very well liked by older people but the young people just ate it up at the time it was quite an interesting and and well-timed launch for these films i think it was just right
0: but i also think there as well is you know you had that period in the 60s when the uk embraced a lot of european culture God yes. God forbid we do that today. Oh, um, <laughs> you know, so, Not uh, when I got
2: a mouthful of water, please, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but th-
0: there was this love of all things, and that's when directors like, you know, Roman Polanski first came across into this country, the love of the films of Francois Truffaut. And so somebody like Sergio Leone, he is going to capture something different, yeah, almost like, I guess... You've got the Bond films going on at that time as well. So it fits in with that sort of culture. I don't believe they opened in America at the same time. They opened slightly later. I believe that's correct. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I guess, you know, at that time you were still getting films like El Dorado,
1: Nevada Smith, which are, again, very different types of Westerns. Yeah, that's for sure. I I think that those movies definitely stand out as kind of being transitional in the in the Western genre, just by the way that they were told and their portrayal of the hero, anti-hero at the time was very interesting. And then obviously he launched the career of Clint Eastwood and then he went on to do, you know, a whole bunch of Westerns after that. Before that, he was most famous for TV Western series, is it? Right. uh, Was it Rawhide?
0: Rawhide, I think it's Rawhide, yeah. Because he wasn't the first choice. James Coburn was the first choice and he turned it down, but he recommended Clint Eastwood for
1: the part. Hmm, didn't know that, but then James Coburn ended up doing what was it? Duck you sucker! Duck sucker! You yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: okay. Yeah. Moving on, please. No,
1: no, but it was also it had another title, Fistful of Dynamite. <laughs> that's right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah with um, yeah, that's probably Leone's least known film, but it, I actually yeah. liked it. It is. I mean, Rod Steiger is so over the top as oh, to be no. out of sight. Yeah,
0: oh, I hated I, it. That, Coburn's Irish accent is up there with his Australian accent from The Great (laughs) Escape. Let's not get away from this. (laughs) So we mentioned Once Upon a Time in the West. Any other Western
1: films stand out for you? For a while, I was going through a period where I was trying to watch the, the AFI, the American Film Institute, put out their 100 greatest movies of all time. And so I was trying to watch a lot of those or as many of those as I could. And I think... I have all of them maybe except for like six or seven maybe. The one that stood out to me based on the Westerns genre was The Searchers because that's very high on Mm. the list. I think I want to say it's fourth or fifth all time, I think. And I had not seen a lot of John Wayne movies, and I figured that was probably a good (laughs) way to start or to to reintroduce myself to it. And I was just totally blown away by it. It's a fascinating
0: film. And of course, it's famous for shots like the end of the film where he can't go into the house and the door closes, leaving him outside because he's always going to be the outsider. You've got traditionalist Wayne views in the film, like when he shoots out the eyes of the Indian to say, right, he can never get into the spirit world to that yep. moment when he embraces Natalie Wood. And by the way, these are spoilers. And if you haven't seen The searches yet, it's not my problem. Um, <laughs> well, it's over 50 years old. <laughs> so. Exactly. There were cynics and people who really didn't like Wayne, but it said, you know, at that point, they fell in love with his character because of the way he acts at the end of the film.
1: I think that... Film just had everything going right. It had the, you know, the acting was great. Again, I hadn't seen a lot of John Wayne, so I, all I knew was his caricature, and I didn't really know a whole lot about his acting chops. And he, I thought it did pretty well. And then just the, you know, the simple things, like you said, like the opening and closing of a door or just shots of the sprawling landscape and stuff were just amazing.
0: Incredible. And and the look of the film as well, you know, filmed in Monument Valley, where Ford liked to film most of his westerns. Yeah. And again, a lot of people from the UK go over there just to see Monument Valley.
1: Hmm, Interesting. It's
0: it's just incredible. What other Western movies stand out for you?
1: After watching Clint Eastwood in a ton of movies, in fact, I think I've seen every Clint Eastwood movie, and I think I own almost all of them, but him going from his character that he played in his early Westerns then to go full circle and then to play the character that he played in Unforgiven. Well, Unforgiven oh. is one of my favorite movies of all time. Fantastic. The story arc, you know, of him thinking about the character that he played when he was younger to now him playing that character. And it's the weird thing is, is if you think about it, he was considered over the hill and that movie is from 1992 so it's 28 years old and now you know he's still alive and kicking it's just crazy to think that he's still going the acting again in that with him and morgan freeman and richard harris and gene hackman just amazing so that i've watched that movie probably so many times it's not even funny (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and and he's about to make another Western, apparently. Clint Eastwood. Really? Oh, no. yeah.
0: No. So, yeah. I would say he'd go out with a Western, but knowing uh, Mr. Eastwood, even though he's
1: now in his 90s, I suspect that won't be the last we see of him. I know. Uh, and you thought like Gran Torino was going to be his last movie. And that movie's still like, what, 12 years ago now yeah, or something. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. Unforgiven is an incredible piece of work,
0: which he wrote the main theme for as well.
1: I yeah, good. I know he's 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 really into, you know, he's a great piano player and he's loved music his whole entire life. Obviously, he directed Bird.
0: Yes, yeah, and he, and he's a huge jazz buff. His, mm. um,
1: his son, Kyle,
0: was over at the Cheltenham Jazz Festival a few years ago. I managed to get in to see him. He hmm. did some standard jazz things and then he did some of the music he's written for his father's films, films like Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah, it runs in the family. Going back to Unforgiven, the way it strips away the Western mythology, you've got the dime novelist who's writing this stuff. That's the myth that's passed down to us. But when you get underneath of it and you see the Eastwood character as mean and as nasty as he is at the end,
1: it's unpleasant, it's realistic, and simply brilliant i love that and and one of my other favorite scenes is you know gene hackman obviously won the oscar for that and he was amazing in this scene in the jail with him and Richard Harris, where he starts calling him the duck of death instead of the duke of death. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. And just, you know, then he just turns everything around. And then the guy who's writing the story starts to find out that Richard Harris isn't as great as he thought he was. And the real star should be Gene Hackman because of all the things that he's done and that Richard Harris ended up probably exaggerating 90% of what he told him. But that whole sequence then is just so amazing. Yes, there isn't a character that doesn't resonate. You can see the arcs
0: going through from the guy who initially looks down on Eastwood because he's a, a braggart and a, a, and a bully, but ultimately he just hasn't got, I'll call it the right stuff, it isn't, it's probably the wrong stuff, but he, <laughs> hasn't, yeah. he hasn't got what Clint Eastwood, you know, a dark soul to be able to yeah. go out and just brutally murder people. I mean, mean, what's that speech that Eastwood gives in the film? You know, I've killed pretty much everything that walked or
1: crawled. Crawls right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sir, you were a cowardly son of a bitch. You just shot an unarmed man. Well, he should have armed himself. He's going to decorate his saloon with my friend. You'd be William Money out of Missouri. Killed women and children. That's right. I've killed women and children. Kill just about everything that no walks or crawls at one time or another. And I'm here to kill you, little Bill, Bill.
0: And you think, yep, it's time to back away,
1: but very slowly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, what about you guys? Can you name off one of your favorite Western films? Well, funny you should say that. I spent
0: uh, sometime this summer d- doing some research on Shane, George Stevens' film, became more and more impressed with it. I watched it a few times and and, and did some reading about it. Stevens had come back from the war where he was, you know, one of the lead cameramen in the American war effort. And he was, I think the first cameraman that went into Belson. So he came back to America and he's watching films and he's in the Westerns, the John Wayne type of Western, where, you know, six bullets and these people are getting up and wandering around. And he said, "Yeah, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen what a single bullet can do. And he wanted to capture that. And that's what Shane is. There's very little action or violence in the film. But when there is, it's brutal. Hmm. You know, you've got the scene where he's showing the young boy when he fires the gun and the gunshot is just the sound. It's like up to 11. And then you've got the standoff between Jack Palance and Elijah Cook Jr. where Palance shoots him and he flies backward in the mud. And it's the first time a rig had been used on an actor where they pulled him back. Oh, really? yeah, Yeah. And in fact, it was one of the main influences on Peckinpah, influencing both in Guns in the Afternoon, particularly in The Wild Bunch so you've got this brutal moment but you've got this fantastic scenery of the west as well around it he used wide frame lenses so that you had the characters in the foreground but it made the background stand out as well so for me i think that as a
1: western it's a work of art it really is an amazing film
3: yeah,
1: and um, i need to rewatch it i saw it a long time ago but i have not seen it in probably 30 years
0: until this summer that was that was about the time I held off from uh, from seeing it, and it was striking going back and watching it again.
2: Have they done a new print of it?
0: This was a digitally enhanced print. Paramount had gone through and, and uh, done a proper job on it. Picking up Andy's question, what about you, Graham? Is there a western that stands out for you?
2: I'm a bit different. Uh, I mean,
0: uh, I know that, but what is there a western <laughs> yeah, that know. stands
1: out for you as it relates uh, to westerns? <laughs> yes,
2: and, and it does definitely relate to westerns. I mean, I love the Westerns of the you know the 60s, 70s. But I think in this century, things have changed quite a lot. And I think they started in the 90s with Dances with Wolves and The Unforgiven, which we've said, and Tombstone. But things I've really enjoyed in the Western genre, I would include things like No Country for Old Men and things like uh, 310 to Yuma. I loved that. And Django Unchained and The Revenant and even things like hateful, Hate yeah, yeah, sure. hateful, and hostiles was one of my yeah. standouts of 2018. I,
1: I was going to mention it. that one. Yeah, I really liked that movie a lot too.
2: That was fantastic. And one of Neil's recommendations, I watched a, a film recently called The Sisters Brothers. Oh yeah, which was just off the <laughs> chart. It was incredible. So I like these, uh, and I was I've said this to Jeff before, so I'll bore him with this again. Westerns are such a wide genre that the edges are blurring so you can get things like No Country for Old Men in there and um The Revenant which is not quite a western it's much before the western period but I consider it a very much a western or Hell or High Water which is a modern day uh, western set in Texas with a couple of bank robbers effect but Dances with Wolves um is probably my favorite because it just I thought it was just so incredibly different when I watched it. I just could not believe what I was watching.
1: Do you think, uh, in 1990, do you think Dances with Wolves deserved to win Best Picture? (sighs) Over movies like Goodfellas? No,
2: no, probably not. No, probably not. But as a Western, I think it is outstanding. I really do think it's quite outstanding. But then again, two years later, Unforgiven, the next year, Tombstone, I just think they're all great in the nineties. I don't have a favorite Western. I have a, a collection of favorite Westerns that I keep going back to.
1: There was kind of a little resurgence too, after dances with wolves did so well and One best picture and stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, besides yeah. unforgiven, then there was like what he had done, Wyatt Earp. And then the mm-hmm. Geronimo film came out, which was really good with Gene Hackman. And there was yes. a, a, quite a few of them right around that mid nineties time that, that
2: And Westerns are very much like this. They seem to come in waves. Mm. So you'll go for a couple of years without one, and then suddenly you'll get one, you know, a whole load of them will come at once.
0: But do you think, though, that whole resurgence started not with Dances with Wolves, but with Lonesome Dove, which was shown on American TV? Mm -hmm. And I say American TV rather than British TV because it took 10 years to get the thing over here and for me to be able to watch it.
2: (laughs) Right, you're going to have to bring me up to speed on that one. Tell me Long about that
0: Oh, Larry McMurdy. It's one of the epic novels of the West. Two aging gunfighters, now cattlemen. Um, they've been everything. They're played by Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall. And they've got to take this cattle. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's yeah.
2: it, fine. I'm watching it. Okay.
1: And it was a miniseries too. It was like two was. or three nights, I think. It's brilliant. And the book
0: is fantastic. And then... Once that was the big hit, he did a sequel to it, Streets of Laredo, but then went back and did two back novels. Dead Man Walking, I think, was one. I might be wrong on that. Comanche Moon was the second. And then Lonesome Dove became the third in that series. But Lonesome Dove, it's one of the great American novels, as well as been a great miniseries.
1: Have you seen it, Andy? Um, I have. Again, it's been a long time, but I have seen both the original and then the Return to Lonesome Dove, but it's been quite a long time.
0: Yeah. See, now Return to Lonesome Dove. (laughs) So because Lonesome Dove was so successful, they went off and and made this series without McMurdy's blessing. So what Uh McMurdy did when he wrote Streets of Laredo, which is the official sequel, all the characters that they made, the heroes of Return to Lonesome Dove he kills off within 10 pages.
3: Oh. <laughs>
0: so, and they've now filmed Streets of Laredo as well. I think that was one of the last films of James Garner. Oh. Uh, he played the Tommy Lee Jones part in, uh, in that. Again, really good, but Lonesome Dove is just amazing. And I just never understood why it took so long to get onto British TV. Nowadays, thankfully, with all the channels we've got, that wouldn't happen. Back
1: then when we only had four channels and a couple of cable, it took a long time. So I guess to your point, I don't know whether it was Lonesome Dove or Dances with with Wolves or one of my other 80s Westerns, favorite 80s Westerns, uh, Silverado. Oh, now we're talking. Yes. One of my all-time faves. Again, I've probably seen that movie twenty times, but just every single character is just so great, and how they uh, interact with each other. And I showed my wife probably a couple months ago that he, Brian Denna he does the almost exact same thing as he does in the movie First Blood. He walks out of the police station, and this one he walks out of the the saloon or whatever, and he stands there and he holds his belt, and he does that exact same thing in both movies. I just thought it was kind of funny.
0: Cop. Why don't you meet Emmett? He's a friend of mine. This is Sheriff Cobb. Pleasure to meet you, Sheriff. Well, the pleasure's mine. Always happy to meet a friend of Peyton's. Hey, Stella, bring Kelly out here, will you?
1: You're, uh, you're Kate Hollis' brother, aren't you? That's right. Uh, you're the one to kill old Murdo McKendrick. I didn't have much choice. He's about to shoot my brother in the back. Silverado, the, it's just the the cast is epic, and it's just so – everything about it is just all the characters are well done, the way that they interact with each other. Scott Glenn and Kevin Kline in particular are both really good.
0: The story behind this for me is I went with my wife and some friends, and I said, oh, let's go see this film. I'd heard it, it's really good. A friend of mine who was a film critic at the time had seen it and was raving about it. It was one of the best action films he'd ever seen. So let's go see it. And I was just blown away. Well, we all were. We were just blown away. Lawrence Kasdan's knowledge of Westerns that he put into it, Bruce Broughton's music score, which is incredible, the theme for Silverado. The first time I'd really noticed or really seen Kevin Costner in the film.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, he was like the, the little brother that kept getting in trouble, yeah. Yeah, the framing of it. Do you remember that
0: scene where he backs out of the saloon Ooh. and you got two bad guys either side of him and he shoots them both? Right. You know, yeah. you can and,
1: the two point three five. You can see it like uh, one guy's way at the left and one guy's way at the yes. right. Yeah. It just you know everything you want from a western: the excitement and John Cleese. Yeah, I was going to say even the smaller hmm. parts, like John Cleese and Jeff Goldblum, are just really good.
2: Yeah, uh, so John Cleese as a sheriff is just bonkers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
0: One of the criticisms at the time was these are all urban actors. And I, I just disagree. I mean, Scott Glenn, definitely not. I thought Kevin Klein was great in it. The only one you could say potentially would be would be Jeff Goldblum.
1: But then that would be his character anyway in the way he was playing him. Well, yeah, he was uh, slick. You know, yeah. he was the slick kind of saloon guy. He, you know, he didn't shoot a gun. He shot his mouth off. When we finish this recording tonight, I'm going off to, to watch it again and <laughs> <laughs> well, then you forget about danny glover who's also great oh, in that movie. yes yes he, yep, with him and his winchester rifle have you seen it neil you're
0: very quiet
3: yes yes yeah and no, that's a great film um i mean some of my favorites and um if you're asking yes i am um, yeah uh true grit both versions love those little big man which is a slightly obscure one but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it about two or three times. Always enjoy that one just because it includes the um, Native American in it quite a lot. Um, yeah, so
2: we that was 1970, wasn't it? So we went from Rio Lobo, A Man Cold Horse, and then Little Big Man. That was another great year for. Uh, yeah,
0: for yeah. That. was yeah. the Dustin Hoffman film?
3: Yes. Yes. yes yeah,
0: Makeup by Dick Smith, yeah. who went on to do The Exorcist.
3: Ah. but also the comedies well Blazing Saddles and Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and all that sort of stuff. I thoroughly enjoy them. But also the ones that you've already mentioned. So the Westerns is uh it's not just the Celtic nations, I think. The uh, the whole of the UK was brought up on it. Especially my uh, uh well our parents' era, it was the um children's cinema, wasn't it, in the morning, and everything was a Western <laughs> <laughs> he went in and watched a West and shouted and ran around the cinema screaming and shooting each other with a, with pretend guns and everything. That It's in the whole of the UK, maybe not calling our houses Ponderosa.
0: So here's a question, and Andy, you're probably too young for this one. When Tarantino made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of the things of watching that was all the TV westerns they were making and referring to, because mm. that was a real hit back to my childhood. You know, the High Chaparral, the Virginian, they'd be on almost every night in ours.
3: Yeah, yeah, and as.
2: Yeah, and, and my personal favourite, The Rifleman, which
1: nobody <laughs> and, uh, remembers.
3: Charles
2: Smith. yes, words.
3: unbelievable.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah and for me... I'm a little bit younger, but the closest thing for a Western for me when I was a kid was my mom's favorite show, which is The Little House on the Prairie, so, <laughs> which is still yeah. a Western, but not in yeah. the same vein, I guess.
2: Remember when I said about it being a wise genre and the edges blur? You're definitely <laughs> yes, in one uh, of the
3: blurry <laughs> edges with that yeah, one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> that, that,
1: my, I think my, my mom watches an episode of that show like every single day because she just loves it so much. Is that Michael Can Landon we, in that? Yes, correct. Yeah, and years later, uh, Melissa Gilbert, who played Laura Ingalls, actually, there was a traveling production of Little House on the Prairie, the musical, and it actually came to my town and I took my mom to see it. And that was like the greatest day of her life that she got to see Melissa Gilbert in person. Because Melissa Gilbert at that time was playing the part of Ma and not the part of Laura Ingalls. So that was kind of funny.
0: On a bizarre side note to all of this, my Christmas music I'd been listening to, I'd actually found the Bonanza Christmas album. No. Oh, I have. Yeah. yeah. Lawn Green, Dan Blocker, Michael Landon all do their bits of Christmas songs. And it's like the whole thing is a concept album. So it was it was recorded back in 1963. And I'm sounds and it's fun. like Yeah, the neighbors have all come across to the Ponderosa. And they oh, sort of do the do the whole thing of, you know, the Christmas thing. And they finish up and the neighbors are going. They've cleaned up the house. And old Lawn Green turns around to his sons and say, right, I'm just going to sit in the porch for a bit and think
1: of my life as they go off to bed. Marvelous. stuff. <laughs> bonanza, Christmas album. That kind of brings you into, like, you know, there's say like western musicals like the first time i saw paint your wagon for example funny yeah. movie and you never thought you'd see clint eastwood singing in a movie but he did in that oh, one and it was pretty we good all
3: wish it. he hadn't
0: <laughs> oh, no he's a good singer he's a very yes, good singer was. Yeah, yeah it wasn't yeah. too bad yeah, yeah i mean you had lee yeah. marvin singing if you want to pick on somebody right right, right. yeah, right. yeah.
2: That was number one in the U.K. for about it six was, weeks. yeah. yeah, Wandering, really? Star, yeah. yeah right.
0: oh,
3: Wandering Star. Yeah. Yeah, right. Wandering Star. Yeah. See? <laughs> and,
0: and so we had The Beatles and Lee yeah. Marvin as number one. So I just want to sort of talk about, the, is the Western still around today, or is it now science fiction films? Is Star Wars and all
1: of that essentially the new Western? Hmm. That's an interesting idea. I mean, you definitely, what I said before about the good guys being really good and the bad guys being really bad certainly would hold true for Star Wars. And if you think about the whole, like, quote, space opera aspect of Star Wars, you know, a lot of Westerns would fall into that same canon. I think if you're talking about the original trilogy, you could certainly make an argument for that. I, I don't know about the newer films because I think the newer films just have too much going on and a lot of characters and sometimes hard to keep track of. And the, I think the, the areas of good and bad come a little bit more gray. But the original trilogy, I guess I would agree with you. What about you guys?
2: Oh, I'd definitely say The Mandalorian, to bring it right up to date, is absolutely 100% a Western because it's got all the components of the Western, you know, the lone gunman, the emotional attachment to a child, yeah, it's it's all there. Mm-hmm.
0: But even little things like, have you watched The Mandalorian, Andy?
1: Um, I've I've seen
0: bits of it. I have not watched all of it yet. No. So if you go to one, of, any one of the end credits of the show, it's like they've got the main theme playing and they've got illustrations of something that's happened in the episode now that is very much how oh yes western tv shows the high chaparral is a classic example at the very end of the high chaparral you'd have the end credits play and there would be paintings in the background and again el dorado the swedish chap whose name i can't remember and i do apologize for that but he did a whole series of paintings that were over the credits and the Mandalorian copies that, just giving that Western feel to it. And mm. as you say, Andy, going back to the original trilogy. Mm. Yeah,
2: I absolutely believe that a lot of this stuff. I mean, and even Star Trek is sort of wagon train in
0: space, and it was made at a time when those shows were incredibly yeah. popular. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd have to play on that. Yeah, Star Trek is uh, a Western. I can see that. <laughs> I just want to step back to one in particular, and it's one we've got a special show coming up on very shortly, and it's The Outlaw Josie Wales. So, Andy, I'll step back to your Clint Eastwood comments of
1: earlier. Where do you rate The Outlaw Josie Wales? Um, It's definitely Eastwood top 10 for me, I would say. Um, Again, it's one of those films that, As opposed to some of my earlier comments where the good guys are good and bad guys are bad, I think the Outlaw Josie Wales blurs those lines a little bit because it's not as uh, well defined, but definitely a different type of Western, but still really, really good and and holds up well. I've seen it within the last five years and I still thoroughly enjoyed it.
3: So you'll be Josie Wales. How might you know that, Renny?
2: Soldiers were here looking for you about two hours ago.
3: I was
0: going to mention that to you as soon as I got the chance.
2: They say you killed your own men.
1: You lying
2: blue scumbellies. They say you're a hard and desperate man, Josie Wales. They're going to heal and hide you to a barn door. You know what I say? What's that? I say that big talk's worth doodly squat.
0: I think what really makes it is Eastwood at that time used a lot of laconic humour And he had a nice balance with Chief Dan George and his comments, almost commenting
1: on the film as you go through it. The weird thing about Clint Eastwood at that time is he was kind of balancing doing a bunch of westerns with a lot of his like Dirty Harry type movies Mm -hmm. that were all mixed in there, and then he also threw in some comedies like the Any Which Way You Can, you know, Every Which Way But Loose movies, which were fun too. But you know, they were all kind of different genres of of film and he was able to pull it off, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean at that point in the seventies, three films in succession, I might have got the order wrong. You have the Eiger Sanction, which is a spy film, you have mm-hmm. The Enforcer, a Dirty Harry film, and you have The Outlaw Josie Wales, a Western. Right. One of his films is a sort of semi taking Grain's point earlier, semi Western but updated, Bronco Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't right. it wasn't successful when it first came out. It got great critical notices but again it demythologizes the west because he has this west show and in the end people are just you know deconstructing the whole thing and it's a place where people go ultimately to find refuge great film very very underrated there's two stars i think that kept the western alive for a long time one was clint eastwood and the other was kevin costner we haven't spoken about Costner's Open Range, which I think is such an underrated film. Yeah, for sure.
3: Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's not really mentioned in all the ones we've mentioned but uh, and we uh, no, rave be- about, but yeah, Open Range is superb.
2: Yeah. It's so strange that The Outlaw, Josie Wells, when I saw it, I just moved from uh, Northern Ireland to Bristol in the UK, and I went and saw The Outlaw, Josie Wells, in um, a big cinema in Bristol. And because Northern Ireland was in such turmoil, lots of the cinemas got closed down and that sort of thing. So it was wonderful. I've always got happy memories of that film going in, here's a big cinema, no problems. I'm not worried about getting blown up while I'm watching a film. <laughs> and it's great. And I remember going back a couple of months later, I. I this is in my head, so I'm not sure of the dates, and seeing The Shootist with John Wayne the same year and being absolutely blown away by that, thinking there's the ol- the older sort of John Wayne doing something quite remarkable with The Shootist, and now there is the new gang of uh, cowboys coming through with the outlaw Josie Wells. And then nothing happened for the next few years. Star Wars came out, and all of the, the Westerns seemed to disappear.
1: Everything switched to science fiction then, because then they even they even put James Bond in space after that. So yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's something he'd rather forget as well. To be quite well, honest, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I was trying to think of other subgenres of Western, and we hadn't talked about like Australian. Have you guys seen a movie called Quigley Down Under with Tom Sell? Oh,
0: brilliant! I get a
1: wonderful score by Basil Polidori in that film. Yeah. Um, okay,
0: come on, give me that one
2: again. That sounds Quigley Down
1: Under. Besides Tom Selleck, the best reason to see it is the guy who hires Tom Selleck is Alan Rickman, and he's yes. really good.
2: <laughs> when is he not? When is yes, he not? He's Yes, for sure. Really but yeah, if you
1: haven't seen <laughs> yeah. it, it's really good. Tom Selleck gets hired by Alan Rickman, so then he makes the trip to Australia, and then he demonstrates his extreme long-range rifle prowess, and then it's just really good. I don't want to tell you too much if you haven't seen it, but it's a okay, great film. Okay, no,
2: nope, it's going in the list. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah but occasionally, and we'll we'll go into this diversion as one of the last things, you've got the horror genre mixing with the Western.
1: Uh, I'm thinking here of films like Bone Tomahawk. Yes. Mm. I was actually just going to mention that, to be honest. Have you yeah. seen Ravenous at all?
0: Yes. Yes, that's... Um, On the got, Donner Party. Oh, and it's got the chap from Full Monty
1: in it, isn't it? As yeah, well, Robert Carlyle um, and Mark Gary Pierce are in it. Yeah, they're yeah. both really good. Cannibal Westerns. Yeah, But, yeah, but, I love bon- Bone Tomahawk, too. It's one of my favorites. Kurt Russell's really good in that.
0: There's just that moment in there. And I'm watching this film, and I'm quite enjoying it, and it, it just goes really strange. And then they show something. You're thinking, I can't believe I, what they've just done.
1: Yes, correct. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, correct. It's always called That Scene. That Scene. Uh, have, have, have you seen, seen That it? Scene? And you're like, yes, I have. I like, oh, yeah. cannot unsee uh, <laughs> it.
0: Yeah, I, I was sitting there thinking, I'm so grateful I'm watching this late at night, and my wife isn't here.
1: That's yes, true. You're right. Yeah, my, yeah. Wife, my wife would have seen that. She probably would have not talked to me for a couple of days. Uh I, I'd have had a month. Um, yeah. yeah. Have you seen it,
0: Graham?
2: No, that's, it's definitely coming off the list. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Thank no, you very no, much.
2: That <laughs> sounds horrendous. Oh, you it's said horror, and cool it. it's
3: not on mine. It's not on yours, Neil, is it? No, 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 no. no. Jeff, on. if if you two guys
2: are going that scene, yeah. it's never going to come uh, come up in my list. <laughs> <Yeah>. had you <laughs>
3: had me at horror.
0: <laughs> Put it like this: you can never unsee what yeah, that really moment good. happens no, in that no movie. Good. Right? Okay, that's it. So that's gone for you Move two. Move on, then. quick. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm still recovering from Peter Rabbit. I can't unsee that, you know. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks for your tweet today, Jeff. That made yeah. my bloody day. Uh, yesterday was it? Yesterday, Peter yeah. Rabbit. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. one say, of my yeah. favourites. You said, and I thought, I think I actually vomited that my way through that film. Yeah, no, I did Wonder
0: Woman today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the horror, the horror genre sort of plays into it, and of course, comedy. There's
3: all the yeah, blazing, blazing Saddles. Blazing
0: Saddles. Yeah. Yes, yes, a classic. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: try remaking Absolutely. that
0: today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, <laughs> well, Butch Cassidy and all sorts of things like that, isn't it? The, yeah. But, yeah, the Blazing Saddles. God, that was just a ridiculous. I
1: don't think you could remake any Millbrooks movie, to be honest. No, no, no. Possibly Young Frankenstein. Because they're, they're so politically incorrect on purpose, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I think you could get away with Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Why would you? Because it's perfect. Right. Yeah. It, it is perfect. perfect. Yeah. yeah, Blazing Saddles, Silent Movie, High Anxiety. No, you couldn't do any of them today.
2: No. And can we not include in this section the the Western Romantic? Because yeah, they are just crap.
0: Like what then, <laughs> Give us <laughs> an example. The, the Electric Horseman. Uh. Oh, uh, electric Horseman's so great. Itch awful Jeff it's a it's wonderful film it's it, well yeah you, you know why because it's anti-capitalist and you being the arch-capitalist <laughs> you are always going to go against it yeah no
2: you, you just love Robert Redford don't you I'll go with Jane Fonda but
1: yeah uh, so I'm a big it, Redford fan myself yeah, yeah. And- and again, I mean the
0: music, Dave Grusin's music score is great. The songs by Willie Nelson are really good. Actually, yes,
2: you have you have spotted a chink in my armor there.
0: Yeah. I, I would say it's well worth going back to to revisit. It's up there with the China syndrome as films of its time.
2: Oh wow. Okay. Mm. Okay.
0: If you want to pick on romantic westerns, there are a few, you can pick on and funny enough, as Andy was saying about the Australian Western, The Man from Snowy River. Yeah.
2: Uh, that's been recommended that's to me before by somebody, I can't remember
0: yeah. Look, I just recommended Bone Tomahawk to you and you just said you're never going to watch it
2: <laughs> Yeah, because you then told me about there was the scene in there, yes, that cannot be unseen, yeah The man from Snowy River Thank you Douglas
3: yeah, that, in it. Yes,
0: and followed by the sequel Return to Snowy River Music yeah. scores on both of those by Bruce Rowland, amazing in fact, Man from Snowy River, you listen to it and you think you're listening to the soundtrack to Hill Street Blues. Oh, wow. Okay. So we've covered just about everything. It shows how flexible the Western is, though. We've talked horror, comedy, um, Australian. musical. <laughs> Australian. Gone, gone to yeah. the ends of the earth for this one. Yeah. yeah. So it is a very flexible genre,
1: much more so than I thought when we started this conversation. I'm hoping that the future is bright, although it's more of a genre film now than it used to be. You know, I, I don't the, – the appetite for it is probably not as big as it once was. But I'm hoping that they still continue to at least make an occasional one, like you had mentioned, Hostiles earlier. Even if they just mm. make a movie like that every couple of years, I'd be happy.
3: And they did Ballad of Buster Skulls, didn't they?
1: Oh, yes. The Coen brothers but, um, did that. The that re-
3: more cool recent problem. one. But yes, every now and then they come out with something – I do agree. I mean, Hostiles
0: is a great film. Yes, um, I think one of the limitations you've got these days is, you know, in the past you would have, and I'll be politically correct for Graham, cowboys against Native Americans. Um, Thank you. Um, it's all right, <laughs> but you can't do that sort of thing anymore. You couldn't, you couldn't remake Soldier Blue, for example.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and you're right about that. In any genre, you know, they don't like to see you know you don't like to see middle eastern represented in a, you know they're just playing terrorists and that's it or that type of thing i mean there's there's a whole bunch of things now that you know are not politically correct that they used to be able to get away with that they can't anymore yeah uh, a
0: complete aside on this i don't know if you know andy there's a big controversy over in the uk at the moment they're reclassifying the certificate on flash gordon because they feel that ming the merciless is is a racial stereotype No, really? Are you being truthful? I am honestly being truthful. And it turns out, and this uh, this I didn't know, it turns out it's one of the
1: Queen's favorite films to watch with her kids. (laughs) It's definitely an all-time favorite of mine. I mean, if I had to list top five guilty pleasures of all time, Flash Gordon would be number one or two, I think. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I met
0: Mike Hodges once. He, he'd give uh, an evening with Mike Hodges thing, basically. It was, only, it was a small select group. It was about 16, 17 of us there. So we could do a Q&A with him, but also went up and, and talked to him. And my question to him after, or my point to him after was, you know, a lot of his films are very down films. Things like Get Carter, very tough films. And then he makes Flash Gordon. I said, so, "So you do all these films, and you acknowledge that they are, they are quite depressing, and, and you know they're quite strong, and yet you have made a perennial Christmas film for UK TV." <laughs> oh yeah, he That's said, "I yeah. oh, that." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely chap. Really nice chap. But, yeah, yeah, they are up in the certificate, partly because of some of the violence. But, uh, yeah, it has been noted they, they feel that Ming the Merciless is a
1: racial stereotype. That's so strange. Man. You know, i the, the different world that we live in. I actually read recently, within the last couple of weeks, that they were, Seth MacFarlane had purchased the rights and was going to remake the movie Revenge of the Nerds. I don't, did you see that? I sir? saw that, yeah. yeah. And they, the first line of the article was talking about whether or not they were going to include the rape scene. And if you think about the movie, like, is that the first thing that you think of is the rape scene? I don't know that I would consider it that. Again, I don't yeah. want to I don't want to get hate mail or anything, but it's just really weird to me that when you think about stuff like that, you're like, it was just a goofy 80s movie. I don't think anyone was taking it seriously, but yet I don't want to minimize rape either. So yeah, right. you know what I mean?
0: And, and, again, it goes back to Blazing Saddles, why you can't remake Blazing Saddles today.
2: Yeah, because of the language.
3: because of the language. because of the
0: language. The language. And also, you know, it does it mock all the people that were building the railways?
3: I, th- yeah. I think Mel Brooks' characters that really, really couldn't get remade um, <laughs> in, in that yeah. one, yeah. apart from the cultural ap- appropriation, is the sexism of the uh, of the governor is, uh, yeah, then I don't think you could remake it. You'd miss yeah. half the jokes out.
0: My, my favourite line of the whole film is when he's trying to get the townsfolk to support him, they won't. listen. <laughs> but you do it for Randolph Scott. <gasps>
3: Randolph
0: <laughs> Scott.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was a film nerds joke before we were even invented. <laughs> before we
3: were film nerds, yeah. So
0: th- Just to capitalise on that There was a B film that followed a year later Called Drive-In It's a fairly forgettable film about a drive-in theatre But the theme song is wonderful And uh, it just goes on about not understanding films today You need need to take your analyst wherever you go and watch He said True Grit's the only movie I've understood in years (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happened to Randolph Scott Riding the
1: trail alone Whatever happened to Gene and Tex and Roy and Rex the Durango kid, oh Whatever happened to Randolph Scott, his horse plain as could be Whatever happened to Randolph Scott, this happened to the best of me Everybody's trying to make a comment about our doubts and fears. True Grit's the only movie I've really understood in years.
2: You've got to take your analyst along to see if it's fit to see.
0: Whatever happened to Randolph Scott has happened to the industry. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Don't watch the film, just listen to the theme song for driving. It's great. Okay, so let's go. Let's finish this up. So <laughs> yes. we have shown that it, it does work in a lot of contexts the Western; it, it's very flexible. But it will be interesting to see if it does have a future. Now we've spoken about the one-offs like Hostile, whether we will ever get a, a mini boom of these films again or it will always be just these one, one-offs. And if they're special enough, do you know what? I could live with
1: that. Sure, mm-hmm. I'd love to see a cool sci-fi western, that'd be fun. Wow. Star Trek The Next Generation did a spin-off called A Fistful of Datas. So if they can do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Battle true. Beyond the Stars, which is a remake of the Magnificent, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great film. You don't see films <laughs> like that much anymore. What was that Peter Strauss film, Adventures in Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone?
1: Yes. That was the first movie I ever saw in 3D. Yeah?
0: 3D version, I didn't realise
2: yeah, that. They, yeah,
0: they, um, so the first wave of 3D was the 50s, the second wave was the 80s. And I remember the first one I saw in 3D in cinema was Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. And there's a moment in that film where they're putting clothes up with one of those clothes line things, clothes peg things, and she takes this bit of wood down and swings it out, and I swear to God, I ducked. I'm in a
1: cinema, and I ducked. Well, yeah. isn't that the same one where, like, he cracks their skull or something, and an eye flies at the screen? Yes, or Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. See, now that was fine, but the, it was the
0: unexpectedness of this bit of wood coming towards me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've been in Florida, and don't get me wrong, some of their stuff. the the Muppet. This was back in the '90s. Took the kids over there, and they did a a, a Muppet thing in 3D, or 4D, they called it, because they threw water over you every now and again just to make sure you were awake. They did this whole thing with this this little characters out on the screen on 3D. And he says, everybody thinks I'm talking to them, but I'm talking to you. And his nose grows st- coming straight towards you. That oh, was cool. quite striking. No, that good. was great. But then again, Disney, they had the money to do it.
2: I saw um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in Disneyland with my kids, and it had... Mice running under your feet and they blew little puffs of air at your ankles. There was four girls in front of me and I think it took them a couple of hours to get them down off the ceiling. I have never seen anybody leap so high in all my life.
0: It's funny you should say that because we were there, not the first year, but the second year when they opened Animal Kingdom and they did a very similar thing with a Bugs Life show that they had. (laughs) and uh, my daughter went into hysterics because this thing was brushing up and she had bare, you know, obviously bare legs, she had shorts, and right. she was in absolute hysteria. We had to calm her down. <laughs> God. Yeah. Thank you, Disney. So the Western, yeah, I think it's got a future. It might be limited, but I think it's there. So, guys, thank you very much for that. So next time, Andy, what are we going to be talking about?
1: I think it, should, it would be interesting to talk about the current state of movies and cinema throughout the world. We've had all these studios and production companies doing different things. There's obviously all these different streaming services out there now fighting for your dollar, and they're putting out movies and shows exclusive to them. How does that take the place of theatres or does it Are theatres going to be able to survive i think it will be an interesting conversation
0: Mm. yes Mm. i i agree we we had a chat a couple of months ago on on that and this it's moved so fast that we're in a completely different world again absolutely fascinated to talk about that with you sounds great andy it's been a real pleasure thank you very much for your time
1: thank you andy Yeah, you bet. Brilliant. Thanks as always. So I enjoy, enjoy it. talking film with you guys. Always a pleasure. Okay.